0: You're listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration, a podcast dedicated to helping software executives stay on the cutting edge of sales and marketing in their industry. Let's get into the show. Hi, welcome to B2B Revenue Acceleration. My name is Aurélien Moutier and I'm here today with Tish Milsap from Revenate. How are you doing today, Tish?
1: I'm doing great, Ray. I'm excited to be here with you today and talk about marketing.
0: That's lovely. Before we get started, it would be very, very useful if you could introduce yourself as well as your company and your role, I guess, within Revenate to our listeners. So can you share a few words about all that please for us?
1: Sure, sure. I'm very passionate about B2B marketing. And part of the reason I, I got very focused on B2B marketing is that, you know, marketing can seem kind of fluffy and B2B, especially demand generation, was really about helping drive the business. And I learned a lot about marketing at really big companies, and then I worked at some smaller companies as well. And so I started my company about five years ago, and I wanted to focus specifically on kind of creating that connection between what is marketing doing and how do we drive revenue for the company? And I really focused specifically on companies that are in these hyper growth stages, they're usually ready to invest a lot of money into marketing, um, but they need to build out the infrastructure. And so we focus on the people, the processes and the technology to help companies grow fast and create that connection between, you know, okay, I spent a dollar in marketing here. How does that drive revenue? How does that make the cash ring? And it's not always easy to create those connections, but it really does require that you you build out the processes within the organization and you build out the technology. And that's what I'm really passionate about.
0: Okay. And I guess the, the name of the company Revenate is a mix of revenue and generate. Is that exactly. correct? Exactly. The yes. There you go. Well, that's, that's, that's a lovely name. I, lo- I, lo- I like it. Well, th- thanks for that Tish. I mean, You have recently shared with us an article where you pinpointed five considerations that any high-growth marketing team should put in practice to optimize their marketing effort, but also to help them achieve their growth objective. Mm -hmm. Would you mind taking us through those five considerations and share some thoughts about them, please?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I've been doing this for a while and there's, there's there seems to be some themes that that have occurred over and over again with with the clients that we've worked with and so I you know wrote this article because I was really thinking about okay what are the the sort of key things that we need to make sure that we do with every client mm-hmm. and the first one is going ABM so account based marketing is really hot everybody's talking about it but the fact is the days of high volume demand generation are over you know for years the click rates on advertising campaigns are going down. The email open and click rates are going down. And I was starting to feel a little bit like I was a spammer, you know, because we are, it was all about like shoving things into the top of the funnel and just trying to figure out how to make it convert. Yep. And we're kind of in a new day of marketing, which is is let's get really targeted. Let's get really focused on who is most likely to convert and stop blasting the universe the problem is that abm is highly manual and you really have to commit to it and be very very detailed on not only just the accounts that you're going after but who are the accounts that you're going after who what are the contacts or the personas that you're going after in those in those accounts and what are their specific pain points but at the end of the day it's it's really worth it i'm running some pilot campaigns now and and the kind of i mean we're seeing like a 40% conversion rate to demo request. And you know, compared to some of the batch and blast stuff that this particular client was doing before that had like a 3 or 4 or 5% conversion rate, it's just really worth it to do the work up front and be much more tact more much more strategic about who we go after. So that's one is you know, just I teach uh, an ABM 101 class and I've been coaching clients now for a while on how to do ABM. So just really Rolling up your sleeves and getting involved with that. It is tough. It's, it's not also,
0: what we find it quite complex actually is the fact that there will also be that there is that requirement of communication between sales and marketing. Mm. So you need to kind of have that, that process glued. So, marketing will have the ideas, sales will push the side, but sales will also get the feedback. And that's that continual type of fine tuning, I guess, that is, is also important. But you are right. ABM is, is a fantastic concept, definitely something that works. But if you want to achieve the 40% conversion that you discussed, you definitely have to, to roll your sleeves up. We appreciate that.
1: Yeah, and, and the salespeople have to be completely on board. You're exactly right. I mean, I said this week when I was going over a target account list with um some reps, I said, I want you to look at this list and I want you to be to think of it this way. If you got a lead, a hot lead from one of these companies, I want you to feel absolutely delighted and excited. And mm-hmm. if you would not be excited to get a lead from that particular company, let's not have them on the target account list.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I appreciate it. That's a, that's a good way to go about it.
1: I mean, we've done all the upfront work on deciding what the first list looked like. We, you know, did a ton of analysis, figured out what the target market looked like, eliminated a lot of industries, did all the stuff. But at the end of the day, I want to be completely aligned with the sales rep. And so they have to be excited about their list too. Yeah. So the second thing that we, uh, I, was, I think about a lot is building for scale. Is like really making sure that your infrastructure is set up for this high growth space and this is really specifically about the technology but i want to also caveat that by saying you can't over engineer it either i mean you're you're going to be growing fast you don't know what your business is going to look like in 6 to 12 months that's because you're in this hyper growth phase so you do need to build out the fundamentals of your of your marketing technology stack but do not get distracted by a bunch of bells and whistles and little tech, little pieces. You need the basics. You need to make sure that your marketing automation platform is working, that your CRM is working, that your website is best in class. And then there's thousands, literally thousands of other tools out there. But a lot of the times that they're they're just distractions and they're not going to really drive your business. So you want to really exploit your, your tool set that you have. So I can't tell you how many times a client has come to me and said, oh, I think we should get X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, well, you know, the tool you have already does that. So why don't we explore the functionality that's within the tool you already have before buying another tool? And that really, if you, if you reduce your tool stack, I mean, even the smallest companies I work with, Ray, they have 10 to 12 pieces of technology yeah. in marketing already. And I was looking at Cisco's marketing technology stack. They did an infographic on their, their marketing technology stack. They had like 45 or 50 pieces of technology that they use. It can get complex really fast. <laughs> so trying to keep it simple, don't buy shiny object things and try to implement them, try to use the tools that you have and make sure that you're getting the basics in place. I'm really lucky. I work with some great technologists who really get it. And I understand that we need to be able to track the ROI. We need to be able to track the funnel. We need to understand the source of where the pipeline is coming from and how to implement those things in the easiest and simplest ways possible. It's still difficult. I mean, you still have to do a lot of work, but we try to keep it as simple as possible.
0: Yeah, that makes perfect sense.
1: So the third thing that I'm really uh, passionate about is outsourcing since sensibly. And this is if you're going into hyper growth stage, you definitely need to think about what your team is going to look like right now and what it's going to look like six to 12 months from now. But the fact is marketing is a very complex function. I mean, there are people who have built their entire career around just doing SEO or just doing pay-per-click or just being a web designer. Every single, you know, subfunction underneath marketing is very complex and requires a lot of skills. Now, uh, you simply can't bring all those people on board. You can't hire, you know, an expert in every single one of these areas. But at the same time, if you're going into a hypergrowth stage, you really need expertise. You really need people who know what they're doing. You can't be guessing because you're guessing about where your business is going to go. You're, you're taking a lot of bets on what the future is going to look like in general. You don't want to take a guess on, you know, am I building my website right for SEO? So I really recommend, uh, you know, looking for people who are experts in their field and bringing on individuals to supplement your team who should be, you know, a great, team of high-powered, talented marketers, but you know, who may not have specific expertise in areas. And you have to make decisions about what's going to be in-house and what's going to be a contractor.
0: It's about mixing up the skills really. It's like it's like building any team. When you've got complexity, it's good to have people that can match up different skill sets, different type of individual. Uh, potentially, people coming with best practices as well. Mm-hmm. But I, I do, I do agree with what you said. The, the bringing some expert people that just focus on one thing and have a lots of experience around that thing, and putting that all together can just can just be a, a successful recipe.
1: And I have no doubt that uh, you know my clients have great smart people on their team, and they can learn how to do a lot of things, but. Sometimes it makes more sense to be able to move a little bit faster and mm-hmm. with a lot more uh, certainty if you bring on an expert. And sometimes it makes sense to to let somebody on your teams learn, you know, roll up their sleeves and learn how to run pay per click campaigns or build out a website. You have to make choices, is what I'm saying. There's a, there's a lot of trade offs in that area. I agree. Yeah. So the fourth thing I wanted to talk about is building your database and. This is so fundamental to being able to do anything in terms of marketing. You have to have the names in your database and you have to have nurtured them. They have to know who you are. So, for example, if if six months from now you want to do a roadshow, a series of events in six cities across various countries or in various cities in the U.S., if you don't have a database to support that, you just can't do it. you. They're not going to show up. Nobody's going to come to your event if you haven't acquired the contacts six to 12 months in advance and nurtured them and let them know who you are and why they should come. So it's really critical that you build your database. And you have to do it very thoughtfully, kind of let's think back to the ABM thing. Who am I bringing into my database? Need to make sure they're absolutely sure that they're the right contacts. And there's basically three ways to acquire contacts. And if you're in a GDPR country, it's even tougher for you. But you can go to events. And if you go to events, you generally get the list and, and the contact information. You can load those people up. Those are great contacts to get because you know that they are alive. I hate to say that, but sometimes when you acquire contacts, you don't know whether they're real people or not. But they came to the event. They're basically interested in something in your space. And the second way is through paid media channels. So that's gonna be your pay-per-click campaigns, your content syndication, all that sort of stuff, which can get very expensive, although I would say events are more expensive. And the third way is using a vendor like Discover Org or D and B to acquire email addresses and bring them into your database. And I just would be very careful with that. It's a great way to do it. It's it's cost effective, but the answer to your database problem is not to just load tens of thousands of email addresses from one of these big databases into your system and start blasting emails to them. You need yeah. to be very, very careful about what accounts you go after and specifically what addresses we go over. And for my team, we do, we do a hand scrub on a lot of these lists. So we'll mm-hmm. actually hand go through the list line by line and say, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no on who we bring in and make sure they really align to the, the client's personas.
0: Yeah. One of the things that we we try to influence when we, when we work with our clients, as you would imagine, for what we do, we do touch a ton of contacts on a mm-hmm. daily basis, on a monthly basis, on a quarterly basis. So we are probably a, a cleansing tool in a way. But I think cleansing is one thing, you know, making sure that Tish is Tish, making sure that our email is our email address, making sure that our function, job title, and everything is still what I can see on uh-huh. my screen is, is one thing. But what I also think is very important is the segmentation. I mean, you mentioned the point of you've got a trade show, you want to do a campaign. And what we try to do with our clients is to influence them to have, have a bit more, of, uh, more foundations around their segmentation. So we are, we're asking them questions such as, okay, what sort of campaigns would you want to run? Would you want to target that job function in that vertical or that industry in that country or in that state? Or mm-hmm. well, Wouldn't it be great if we could get those filters and we could come up to a list of fresh contacts that are absolutely on target? So we could do macro campaign. And the reason why we push that is for another thing that you mentioned, with is GDPR. So, for us, it's extremely important to be relevant to the persona mm. so so, the contact I think is key, but that segmentation being able to being able to almost foresee the type of complex you will want to run and hit that segmentation properly so you you know that in the future you will be able to filter very quickly and get access to fresh data and and not have issues with that data is also key. But funnily enough, we actually struggle sometimes to to get it to the level we would like it to be with clients. And six months on the line, they ask us to do a campaign and we're like, wow, we actually don't have that data. We can't filter to that level. So we'll have to do some extra data work, if you will, to get to that level of quality, which is frustrating. But there you
1: go. It's so funny. I'm working on a project right now and it kind of goes back to my my second point, which is build for scale. And part of that is some really tedious work around job title normalization and persona matching. So what we're doing right now is we're, we're looking at the vast world of job titles that they could go after. And we're creating these buckets of groups of uh, saying, okay, uh, these titles are all kind of similar and these titles are all kind of similar and they all map to one of our key four personas. But what we're doing is we're implementing it in a way that it will be in the database. So we'll be able to, if you said, Oh, I'd really like to run a campaign to Persona A, this company is going to be able to go in and pull all the contacts that they have that are related to Persona A so that you can have a, an outbound calling campaign that is all very similar, talking to the similar kinds of people who have similar kinds of pain points. But if you don't do all that, to your point, back end data work, You're not going to have that accessible to you when you need it. And so being able to think ahead about what's important in terms of the infrastructure and what isn't important, it's it's not something that everyone thinks of in terms of Mm -hmm. of doing this process of job title normalization so that you can have that. It's also going to give them the ability to look at all of their programs, their email programs and their advertising programs by persona. So who's responding? Who's who's Mm -hmm. interested? Who's engaging? is it persona A or is it persona B is persona B you know engaging with these kinds of campaigns and these kinds of messages and not these kinds of messages so we have the ability because we've done this multiple times to know that that 6 months from now you're going to want to be able to do things by persona but yep. not everybody knows that from the the and, and it stops them when they when they come to wanting to do a campaign like what you're talking about mm-hmm. because they had they're like oh wait we have to stop and <laughs> build this stuff all out
0: yeah, sometimes the time invested at the outset is saving a ton of time in the future. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and also just time.
1: giving you the insights so that you have it. So I do want to say one more thing about building your database is that in the last couple of years, something that has, has become really prominent is using intent data, uh, buyer intent data. And there's a few vendors out there doing it. Bombora, the Big Willow, Tech Target, Kickfire. I don't have that much experience with them. but what these guys are out there doing is they are able to track people's activity on the internet and understand from an account level perspective, who is in a more active buying cycle. So they have all these keywords and they understand who is searching on which keywords and who is showing an, an abnormal amount of searching. I hope I explained that well. Did it, is that clear what that is, intent data? I think it makes sense, yeah. Yeah, so this is super exciting because instead of pulling a cold list into your database, you're able to actually go and see who's in an active buying cycle. So I might take my target account list and send it to a, an intent data provider like Bambora and say, who of these accounts are sh- actively showing engagement? And then I would acquire contacts for just those accounts and start marketing to them. And we have been seeing some really exciting conversion rates from this because instead of, you know, pulling in somebody to your database who you have no idea is in a buying cycle or not, they may not have an initiative or a project going on for your particular product versus somebody who does. And it's just it's been really exciting. We'll like pull a bunch of contacts into the database on a Monday night. And then we're blasting out an invite to a webinar or part of our nurture program the next day. And we are seeing people from this list engage with that content and sign up for the webinar and download content immediately. It's so dramatically different than, you know, just cold lists. So I would really recommend people, as you build your database, start accessing these intent data providers.
0: We'll have a look at that then. Well, that leaves us with the fifth consideration.
1: So this is really about messaging and testing your position in the marketplace and making sure that you're very, very clear about who you are and what you do. And a lot of these companies, especially if you're moving into a new marketplace, it's very busy. It's very crowded. There's a lot of messages out there every day. And you have to be very clear about what your value proposition is and what your key messages are. And you have to make sure everybody in your organization is speaking the same language and that they're using the same exact same key messages when they talk to the market. It's just too confusing. And if you're trying to break through into a new space, you're never going to be heard if you don't or if you're not all working in concert. I talk to my clients about, think about it this way. If I had a dozen apples and each one of those represents a message and I threw all dozen at you at once, you probably wouldn't catch any of them. You'd just go, ah! you know, my God, look at all. But if I throw one apple to you at a time, you're probably going to catch it. And you need to think about your messages the same way. It's like, okay, this is the message that we're pushing in the marketplace right now. And you need to make sure that everybody is saying the same thing. And it's one of those process things. So that's one of the things in my business, I talk about people, processes, and technology. You need to have a process across your organization to communicate. This is what we're saying to the marketplace. Let's all be in lockstep.
0: Yeah, I think I think that makes that makes a lot of sense actually. We 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 did record a podcast just about that topic a few weeks ago about making sure that everybody in the organization is pushing the same message. Everybody in the organization is actually going after the same kind of representation of the company and, and you know, Saying the same thing makes sure that you make sure that the message is uniform, but also it's a way to inform your colleagues and inform everyone within the business that this is what the company is doing from the account payable to the salesperson to the marketing person. If everybody understands the same message, it, it makes things much easier for outsiders or anyone, any sort of party. It could be a supplier, it could be a client, it could be a vendor uh, that, that you work with, but to really get that around your value proposition and how, how you go about it. As we as an outsourcing company here at Operatics, I would like to come back to the third point, the third consideration, which is mm. around outsourcing. And I'd like to pick your brain up about, from your perspective and your experience of outsourcing, what are the pros and the cons of, of 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 outsourcing? I appreciate what you are saying about, you know, some of the pros would be having experts, people that do it day in, day out, potentially a best of breed type of relationship with, with people that's really another subject but if you could expand a little bit more on the pros and cons mm. that would be
1: well i think one is definitely the expertise two is the speed versus you know you can just move a lot faster if you bring a, a vendor or a contractor into play who's already an expert in that can just plug into your team and if you're in a hyper growth stage it's all about speed so that is a, a very important thing mm-hmm. I think also um, just having the continued flexibility. So, you know, you don't know what your business is going to look like from six months now Mm -hmm. and hiring full time people in your organization just may not make sense. So you may change whatever you're testing or whatever market you're trying to move into may not work out. And then all of a sudden you have to do layoffs and things like that. And that's not pleasant for anyone. No. That's one thing. I think also just how many things, how many balls in the air do, do you want to be juggling? And sometimes it's just easier to take one of those things off the plate and say, okay, I have an expert who's handling that. It's it's about executive attention. That's kind of what I'm trying to say is that, mm-hmm. you know, you really have to decide where you're going to place your emphasis and and what makes sense. And I would say, I want to kind of make another note about flexibility. I was thinking about copywriting for one of my clients. So I usually recommend that, you know, you have outsourced copywriters and you have three or four people, you know, that you can send different projects to and things like that. But sometimes if you are in a highly complex buying cycle, you have a highly complex product, it makes more sense to have those people internal to your organization. So for this particular client, because of the high level of complexity that the, the writer is going to have to really understand, I said, for you guys, I think you need to hire some internal things. So you do have to make those choices as well, thinking about, you know, do I need to have this knowledge in-house and do I need to uh, have that kind of relationship with somebody where they're really just... 100% dedicated to me. So that's one of the things I think about when deciding whether to outsource as well. Okay,
0: very good. Well, I, I think it, it makes a lot of sense. I think we, we obviously, because we are an outsourcer and we, we outsource activities, we, we believe in the concept of outsourcing. We, we do believe in the concept of insourcing. So sometimes it's about insourcing our resources within our client's environment, which is probably what you do as well. So having a lots of interaction with the client's. For, for us, we always say we want to be an extension of your team. Yeah, our business model, the way we work, the way we think, the way we want our relationship to be—from negotiation at the outset of, of having a contract to the, the the kickoff of the program to the running the program—needs to be a relationship of almost colleagues. If we start that, if we start to have a relationship, supplier, clients, and you know. Mm-hmm. Springs, it becomes difficult. So I think that unity in between the team, potentially getting our clients to engage with our resources to make sure that, you know, from a, uh, from a, a mindset, from a, a culture, from a, a way of working perspective, things are clicking nicely between individuals, between human beings, and they will enjoy working together. It's actually very important. The skill set of our guys, we check that, but making sure that culturally they will fit that organization, making sure that culturally they will work well with our clients, it's extremely key. I couldn't agree more. And
1: I I think you're you really what makes a great outsource solution is absolutely about this kind of. It's not, uh, you you have to check the box on the skills, absolutely. Um, But there's something else about having somebody who feels more like a partner and that is kind of feels a little bit embedded in the organization. I feel very embedded with my clients and that's the kind of service that we provide too. We're very much an extension of their team and that's the kind of of outsource solution that's gonna really benefit your business and not feeling so much like it's this, this transactional relationship.
0: No, I I completely agree with you. Well, I've got one last question for you, Tish. We spoke about, it's more important, or you mentioned to me, it's more important to be clear than it is to be innovative, okay? Mm. And also the fact or the concept that it's fundamental for everyone to be aligned on the same message, which we we discussed just a Mm -hmm. few minutes ago. How can you make sure that marketing, sales, and I guess your BDR team, the people who are really customer-facing, are all on the same page.
1: So I don't mean to not say you shouldn't be innovative and differentiate yourself from from other your competitors and things like that. But I just think it's so much more important that you be clear. Sometimes I feel like when we're doing messaging work that people are seeking this holy grail of messaging that's going to be, you know, just break through the marketplace. And sometimes it's just seriously making sure that everybody is saying the same thing in the same way and that that's going to really make your value proposition clear to the marketplace and speaking of the BDR team and and being in alignment with them i think it's a three-step process and it's really dependent on marketing being very transparent with the BDR team about what's happening so i always recommend three things one we do a presentation at the beginning of the quarter and that sort of gives them a high level overview of all the campaigns that are going to happen what are the expected results of those, and you know any sort of concerns you know things risks to the plan you know if things don't get funded or things like that? The second thing that we do is a either a weekly or an every other week meeting with this, and this is much more like focused on what's going to be happening immediately. so we usually do a briefing on what happened in the past week and then what's coming up in the next week, so what are the offers that are going to be going out, anything new that's happening and make sure they're really clear on that. But the third piece of that is probably the most critical thing because salespeople are very busy. They've got a lot going on. They're very driven. They're trying to make the number. And what you really have to do is support them in the moment they're they're having that conversation. And so that means when a lead comes to them in their system, they need to be able to click on that lead, quickly see the campaigns that, that, that lead has participated in and be like, oh, yeah, they talked about that this week or, oh, yeah, I remember that from the briefing at the beginning of the quarter. Be able to click into those campaigns and understand, you know, what the asset is or whatever the offer was immediately while they're there. They also need to have, um, you know, some insight into who this persona is and they should have already been trained on what the different personas that we are that we're going after and what their key pain points are. So that they have all that information and when they pick up the phone, that is all visible to them and it's all, you know, just a couple of minutes, they can kind of get up to speed on everything around that particular lead. So I really think it's a three-step process to make sure that we have given them the information that they need, both at a high level and in the moment when they need it.
0: Thanks for that, Tish. Unfortunately, we are getting to the end of our conversation today uh, and it was a pleasure talking to you. But at this point of the podcast, we always ask our guests to let us know how our audience could get in touch with you. So Tish, what is the best way to connect with you?
1: So you can definitely connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm Tish Millsap at Revenate. And I also, you can email me at tish at Marketing.com or you can visit our website, revenate.com and uh, fill out a contact us form and I'll get back to you.
0: Well, Tish, it was fantastic having you on the show today. Thank you again for your participation and we speak to you soon.
1: Well, thank you very much. It's been great talking with you all. Operatics has redefined the meaning of revenue generation for technology companies worldwide. While the traditional concepts of building and managing inside sales teams in-house has existed for many years, companies are struggling with a lack of focus, agility, and scale required in today's fast and complex world of enterprise technology sales. See how Operatics can help your company accelerate pipeline at operatics.net.
0: You've been listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player.
1: Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.